He said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel saying, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So we're using this kind of as a kickoff verse to say this is the intention of God, that it's not our might, it's not our, it's not our power, but it's the spirit of God that motivates, that we're drawn into at times our ability to accomplish, right? We as good Christians and we as good North Americans, uh, just Americans in general, we're good at accomplishing things. And many times we're, we pride ourselves on our own success, that we have a semblance of success and that's where we really take pride in what we've been able to accomplish. But as we learn to be more and more measured in our faith life, we tend to assume any and all of the movement is by way of our effort. So we, we tend to believe that as we grow in the things of God, as we grow in our faith life, as we grow in our prayer life, as we grow in who we are as Christians and discipled believers, we tend to believe that much of that has to do with our own effort, that most of the effort we're putting forth is proof to the context that we're growing, that look, I've done enough, I've prayed enough, I've given, I've, I've, I've served on a team, so that's obviously proof that I'm growing and, and I really have a lot of effort that I put forth to show the growth that I have and probably nothing could be further from the truth. See, we, we reach pinnacles of success and assume that that's it. We reach pinnacles of success in our personal life, in our prayer life, in our spiritual life, and many times we assume that's it, that nothing more can be done, that nothing more can be accomplished by faith because we've exhausted all of our effort, all of our energy, we've exhausted all of who we are, and we finally reach that pinnacle. See, when we think that, that all this happens and, and it happens by, and all that can happen is based on our ability, it's based on our might and our power, we deceive ourselves to thinking that we've reached a level of success or degree of success that can't be superseded. That sometimes we box ourselves in because we think our efforts are what give us that claim to fame. That our efforts are what give us that placement. In and of yourselves, you're correct. We have limitations and we can't accomplish much beyond our limitations. In and of ourselves, we are so correct that there are levels that we reach that we can't really get past on our own merit, on our own effort, but there is more. And I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, there is so, so much more. See, please remember that the gospel is God's grace in tandem with the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. So God's grace, his ability, his, his supernatural ability endowed to us through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, that really is the gospel, the good news that we're looking for. When we're led by the Holy Spirit, it's a totally different lifestyle. When we're led of the Spirit of God, it's a totally different lifestyle than when we're led of our flesh or then we're led of our, of our instinct or then we're led of our own abilities. See, there should be something totally different between you and a spirit or, or you as a spirit-led believer and somebody else who's just led of their own instincts and their own power and their own will. There should be something totally different about those of us who are spirit-led believers. Today, I'm asking you to separate yourself from your natural abilities and your power and trust the Holy Spirit. 
to take a moment to separate yourselves from what you can do, from what you can do in your own power, from what you can do in your own strength. Separate yourselves from that for a moment and think and trust in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to take it just a little further. I really don't like the term Holy Ghost. I know that's an old Pentecostal term, but I don't like that term because many times people get in the back of their mind a picture of this Casper the Friendly Ghost and he's this talisman or, or he's almost this guide on a journey. And No doubt the Holy Spirit's a guide for us, but it's almost like we're chasing something down a dark path and he's just that little light that's a little bit in front of us and we really never quite catch him. We really never quite get in context with him. And so I don't like the picture of ghost, more of Holy Spirit. And I think we, uh, at the last few weeks, have defined the Holy Spirit as a third part of the Trinity. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. In the same way, I am a three-part person. My wife knows me as husband. My sons know me as father. My parents know me as son. I'm the same dude, but I kind of create three different functions, right? Now, in my life, it's a little different. I can't be father and I can't be son, and I can't be husband all at the same time, where God can be God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit all at once in three distinct parts existing, but yet he's still one God. And so in a brief definition, that's really what we're talking about. The third person of the Trinity, not watered down, not someone with less power, not less God, but just the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit as God in us in Ezekiel chapter 26, or chapter 36 and verse 27 says, I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. So we have this idea of the spirit in us and the Holy Spirit in us causes us to walk in these ordinances, in these statutes. And we as Christians, if we're to subjugate our life to the Holy Spirit, then he's at work within us, then he's empowering us, then he's giving us the right motivation to do what he's called us to do. But then the Holy Spirit has a different task of working through us, not just in us, to keep to what God's called us to, to keep to the destiny that God's called us to, but also to work through us, to empower us to work through us. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 14, through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within us, carefully guard the precious truth that has been entrusted to you. The power of the Holy Spirit to guard what's been entrusted that God's at work in us. He's doing something in our heart and in our life, but that he's also using the power of the Holy Spirit, that self-same presence, to work through us to guard something that's precious, and that being the actual gift of the person of the Holy Spirit. We look for two experiences in the life of every believer we look for two experiences that mark the life of every single believer. We hope that everyone first comes into that first saving knowledge of Jesus or the idea of being born again. We see in scripture this guy named Nicodemus came to Jesus and he asked a very poignant question in John chapter 3 and verse 4 and 6. And he said, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can a man enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, verily or truly, I say to you, I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of spirit. For what is born of flesh is flesh, but what is born of spirit is spirit. So that first identifying marker in the life of every believer is coming to a saving knowledge of Jesus that we are born again. If you ever wondered where that term came from, right there in John chapter 3, that's where we get that idea or that term to be born again. 
men, but we are called to be those who are separated, that he is Lord of our life, and that we are born again. And in being born again, we understand that Jesus did away with our sin. We understand that Jesus did away with all of our past transgressions. We come to a saving knowledge in him. We come to a place where we yield our life to him, where he is Lord of our life, not just our ticket to heaven, but he becomes Lord of our life. And that second experience is so very important uh, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. At salvation, every believer receives the Holy Spirit and again, I believe that's not what we're talking about in this second portion or the second experience, that at salvation, sure, the Holy Spirit comes to reside on the inside of you, to live on the inside of you, but then there's something more to it. In John chapter 14 and verse 16 and through 17, he says, when I ask the Father, he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot accept because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he resides within you and will be in you. This is the person of the Holy Spirit resides in us, that he's on the inside of us. He's that third person of God, the spirit of truth, residing and motivating and, and manifesting on the inside of us. So we have the born again experience that we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, that he becomes Lord of our life. Then we have that secondary experience, not that the Holy Spirit isn't a part of our life when we're born again, but we have this different, this different motivation where the Holy Spirit comes on us. And we'll read here in just a little bit of what happened to Jesus in that same moment. See, we also read in Luke 24 and 49 that Jesus commanded his disciples to wait until they were endued with power from on high, until they had what, the, the, what God had promised them, that until they received the Holy Spirit, until they were clothed in power, that they were to wait until that ministry that they were promised kicked off, until they started the church, until they started all the efforts that the early church would go through. God said in the form of Jesus first to wait so God the Father speaking through his Son to wait for God the Holy Spirit to come, the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. See, he was speaking of that infilling presence. He was speaking of that overriding presence. Jesus was speaking and asking them to wait because the Holy Spirit still had a job to do in their heart and in their life. The Holy Spirit was still motivating them and moving in their life, and they had to wait until that promise had fully come. So if you have your Bibles, again, Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, a very familiar, familiar portion of Scripture, something we went over a couple of, of weeks ago. And it says, after being baptized, Jesus came up immediately out of the water and behold, heaven opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and, and landed on him. And behold, the voice of God said from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. So we are very familiar with this portion of scripture. Jesus is baptized by his cousin in the Jordan. And the Bible says that heaven was literally ripped open, giving a sense of urgency that whatever God was about to do was needed and it was purposeful. And God sends his spirit to descend on him like a dove. The Holy Spirit, that selfsame presence of the Holy Spirit that we are chasing, fell on Jesus like a dove. Now we have to understand that at that moment in time, Jesus had never performed a miracle. He's about 30 years of age and he had been noted as a good teacher, even some folks calling him rabbi. The 12 guys that were to follow him hadn't all been assembled yet. But in this moment, something about his ministry drastically changes. Something about his ministry drastically takes a shift uh, to where 
not just the Holy Spirit is, is seen as a dove falling on him, but that his life is marked with the power of the Holy Spirit, that his life is marked with such a presence of God that from this point on, he's not just known for his teaching, he's known for the miracle after miracle after miracle that he performed. Now this is what God, this is the life that God's called us to. This is the life that we're called to in the Spirit, that we would come to such a place that God would empower us through his spirit, that we would get born again, submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus, and then let the Holy Spirit empower us to such a degree that we live this supernatural life. But many of us, man, we get scared. We get put off with the idea that, well, I'm not good enough. We get put off with the idea that I haven't prayed enough. We get put off with the idea that that's for somebody else and, and not necessarily for me. And the reality is the Holy Spirit has come to empower us in a supernatural way that our lives are marked with the characteristic of being supernatural people. That we're to live this life not just for ourselves, but we're to live this life for others. And for some of us, we've taken the supernatural to, to one degree where it's affected our life. Maybe we started a new job or a new career that we thought would be impossible and the leading of the Holy Spirit led us into that and it was miraculous. God performed a miracle and look what happened. We were able to accomplish something great. For some of us, the miracle happened in that we, we went out into the world and, and we got our feet wet in the miraculous just a little bit and we prayed for somebody and there was a notable difference and they were happy and they were glad for that, but, but we really never took it any further than that. Maybe some of us heard a word from God and we spoke it into the life of another person and they were glad to receive it, but we really didn't go any further because it's a little scary, it's a little spooky. What, what do we do with this presence of the Holy Spirit? But we see here that Jesus himself needed that presence to perform those miracles. Until this moment, Christ hadn't, there's been no record of one miracle even performed by his hands. But that you would, uh, and so if you have your Bibles, again, turn to John chapter 6 and verse 29. And it says this, this is the work of God. That you would believe in him who he sent. That we would believe in him who he sent first Jesus, God sends Jesus, his son, the redeeming factor. Second, he sends the Holy Spirit. We see that in the life of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is promised. The scriptures we read earlier focus on the idea that he was promised. So this, this is the work of God, that you would believe in him who he has sent. First, Jesus, the redeemer, and second, the Holy Spirit, the empowerer. That we come to a place where we don't just get satisfied with our ticket to heaven, but we come to a place where we are so dissatisfied that we're not moving in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So how does this all work? Well, first, we believe in Jesus, that he dealt with our sin. We believe in the fact that he is redeemer. We believe in this born again experience. We believe that he dealt with our past, present, and future sin. That we come to this this common understanding that Jesus has dealt with all the sin that we're ever going to put out, all of the sin that we're ever going to be, that we're going to ever be wrapped up in, all of the sin and the transgression that we could fail to, everything that we could, that we could fail in, that God has already paid the way in Christ Jesus. But most of us can't get past that hurdle to get to a lifestyle of the supernatural. Most of us are so caught up with the idea that we're not good enough, that we haven't done enough, that we're, we're too sin-stained, that we mess up too much. So how could God possibly work in me? 
How could God possibly work in me to such a degree that the Holy Spirit's power is evident? How could God do it in such a frail vessel? I'm not the pastor. I'm not even on the prayer team. I'm not an elder. I'm not even on the leadership team. How could God use me? The fact is God used everyday people to advance the gospel, to advance the church, and it was all through supernatural means. And we forget that so often. So Hebrews chapter nine and verse 28, so also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sin for many, will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him that we know that Jesus has already dealt with sin and that the next time he comes and we see him in fleshly form, it won't be because he's dealing with sin. That's already been dealt with. He will be coming to rescue those, to bring us to heaven, back into fellowship with God on a celestial plane. He will bring us back into the family of God, reunite heaven to earth as eternity starts again. He's already dealt with sin. He doesn't need to deal with it again. Yet we allow ourselves to be limited in our faith life in the supernatural because we believe somewhere, somehow, that we are limited because of our output. That we're limited by what we have done or haven't done. That we are limited because we're not perfect people. And that's not at all the reality. When the church makes sin the primary issue, we lose track of why the second promised person has come. John chapter six, verse 29, that you would believe on him who was sent, that we would believe first on Jesus and wrap that whole story up in our heart and then move to that next person and believe in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that God is sending into our life. See, I believe we should be a church that's marked by the supernatural. I believe we should be a church that goes out in our everyday life and connects with people on a supernatural level. I'm hoping for the day and I'm believing for the day when it's common amongst our, our church and the group of people that call Grace Family Church home for them to go out into the world, the everyday world and to link hands with somebody and to pray with them and to connect with them and to believe with them as they're led of the Holy Spirit. What does it look like when you're at Starbucks and the barista on the other side of the table is sick and you ask if you can join hands with, with her and you pray for her and she's instantly healed? You think that's a testimony of God? You think that's a testimony to the power of God? What does it look like when you're at Hy-Vee and the, the checkout person just needs a word? They need to know God loves them. They need to be infused with that prophetic word to know that God's there for them. And through the voice of the Holy Spirit, you hear directly to their heart's issue and you speak to that and their life is changed forever. How much more supernatural could it get? See, we're waiting for the supernatural to be up in front of an altar in front of people so we can show off and show off for what we did in our little church circles rather than taking the supernatural outside the walls of the church rather than taking the supernatural to the street where it belongs the early church was marked with the supernatural not because they did everything correctly in the walls of a church but because they lived a supernatural life outside the church and that's what God's called us to that we would believe on him who is sent if we believe that our sin has been dealt with we could move on. If we actually believed that our sin had been dealt with, we could move on into the supernatural, but we keep trying to figure out a way to pay for our sin, to pay for our transgressions, to pay for what we've done wrong. 
Not that we shouldn't be repent, not that we shouldn't repent and be remorseful, but that a greater force it empowers us. That there's a perfect person that replaces the old me. Not by my effort, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. That there's a person that is empowered by the Holy Spirit who is totally in the image and likeness and character of Jesus that replaces the old dead man. The Bible says all things have become new. That all the old stuff is washed away and everything has become new. And that we take on, we actually take on the form of Christ. It says that we're clothed in him in one translation. That when, that when we see ourselves, we need to stop looking at our failures and our faults and our sin and start looking at the Jesus that's on the inside of us. And that Jesus is ready and willing to perform miracles. That self-same presence of the Holy Spirit is ready and willing to live supernaturally if we'll just let go and let it happen. The hard question is, is sin really the central issue of our life? And so many of us call, get caught in that idea that we're trying to beat back the devil of sin every single day, rather than resting and living in the grace of God, rather than resting and living in who we are in Christ, we are constantly trying to fight the battle to beat back sin, rather than understanding that the sin part's already been dealt with. If we'll just, if we'll just give up and give it to Jesus, if we'll just give up and quit trying to fight that fight on our own and give it over to, give it over to Christ, then we know we can be made whole, be renewed, be righteous. And then we can eventually live in that Holy Spirit-centered life, in that Spirit-filled life, in that supernatural life. I had a hard time struggling with this growing up because I heard this from like when I was a little kid. I heard messages of the Holy Spirit being empowered of the Holy Spirit from the time I was about four all the way up. And so I grew up as a good church kid. I was that nerdy church kid, man. I was in every church service. I used to tell people a long time ago, when I was a kid, I had a big drug problem. And I did. My mom drugged me to prayer, prayer meetings, and she drugged me to church. And yeah, and that's how nerdy my church life was. It's, it's the truth. And you have to be pretty nerdy in your church life when you want to go study theology. Uh, so anyway, I, I knew I wanted this supernatural lifestyle. I knew I wanted the Holy Spirit to be real in my heart and in my life, and even at a very young age. And I was 14, maybe 15, I think. Uh, I was thinking about it uh, during between the services. 14 or 15 years old, and I had the opportunity to go to um, a, uh, a missions trip in Ireland. And I remember the, the trip very vividly, and I think I spoke a little bit of, about it uh, the other day. But we were in a church service and uh, planning and, and prepping for all the different evangelistic type work we would do and the kids we would connect with and meet with and talk with. And again, I'm 14, 15 years old and there's a, an adult couple who's running the church where we're at and I feel the Holy Spirit speak to me to talk to them. And it's about something that I can very much tell you was gonna offend them. And I said, ain't no way in the world I'm doing that. No way, I'm, four, I'm 15 years old, 14, 15 years old. These are adults, these are 30 year olds. I can't even imagine if a 14 year old came up to me and said, Pastor Nathan, God told me this about you. I'd be like, yeah, whatever, scrub, get out, you know. But that's, I know the, the, the motivation of the Holy Spirit was there and I needed, I needed to obey it. And I struggled with it for about a day and a half. And God was speaking to my heart something concerning finances in this couple. And I thought, I, I, I can't speak to this. I'm not an adult. I don't even, I don't have a checkbook. I don't manage my own money. My mom and dad pay for everything. Like, what do I know to speak to finances? 
And I remember just trying to be led of the Holy Spirit and to be honest of God. And, and I went to this couple and I said, can, you know, pastors, can we talk? And I'm sure they thought it was going to be something about how the trip was going good or I wanted to do this or do that or fake play the guitar because I thought I could do that. You know, I, I don't know what. It was going to be something cool, I'm sure, for them. Uh, but we sat down and I, and I started to talk to them and say, you know, God was speaking to my heart and, and I feel like he was saying this and, and that there's a financial issue and, and that if we don't get past it, that it could be a problem and blah, 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 blah. And, and, and all of a sudden she starts breaking down and crying. And, and I can see it coming over him that this is a real issue. Hear from God, well, just as good as anybody else. You could say, well, some 14-year-old punk-nosed kid who literally doesn't know his Bible, maybe he can only memorize a few verses. Who are you to speak to this couple? Well, if you're a willing vessel of the Holy Spirit. Nothing about my life at that time lined up with the Word of God and was, was relevant enough to say, this is a proper vessel to be used of God. Nothing in my life, the way we look at it in, in the heroic terms, because we look at it in heroic terms by men who have already won battles. We look at it in heroic terms of men in scripture who have already fought the fight. We look at it in heroic terms of those who are used of God who are perfect because of the pages of scripture and we don't see necessarily all the faults that God allows us to see in the scripture. We forget that God used murderers and liars and thieves and adulterers to accomplish his will on planet earth in a supernatural way and he will and can use you. It doesn't mean you don't repent. It doesn't mean you're not sorry for what you've committed. It doesn't mean that you, that, that you hide your sin. What it means is simple, that we allow the walls to come down so that regardless of if you're 15 or 50, whether you're perfect in your own sight or not, whether or not you think you've got it all together, whether or not you know the scripture backwards or forward, or you can barely remember one verse, the Holy Spirit can still use you. The Holy Spirit can still speak through you. The Holy Spirit can, can still do profound miracles through you. But we have to be willing and open and the problem is at times we've made sin the central issue of life and all we're trying to do in this Christian life is get over the next sin hurdle and get over the next sin hurdle rather than listen to the voice of God, rather than be open to the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And at the risk of sounding like some old Pentecostal preacher, we, we miss the presence of the Holy Spirit. We miss the presence of the Holy Spirit in our churches, in our church life, in our everyday life. We miss the presence of the Holy Spirit because we're afraid. We're afraid to step out and do what he's called us to do. We're afraid that he's going to make us look foolish or we're afraid that it's not going to work and that we're going to do what God told us to do. We're going to pray. We're going to believe. We're going to speak and it's going to fall flat. Let, let me encourage you. It might fall flat. It might fall flat once or twice. It might, it might fall flat here or there. But if he's called you and you know he's empowered you and you're, you're intent on hearing his voice and you're intent on feeling and knowing his presence, when it clicks and when it happens and the Holy Spirit meets you at that point of contact, any failure you had will be worth it. Any moment you had where it didn't line up perfectly will be worth it. The question is, are we going to get enough strength behind us? Are we gonna rely enough on the person of the Holy Spirit 
to step out and to do the impossible, to step out and do the supernatural, to step out and be what God's called us to be. You're not on God's good side because you don't sin. You're not on God's good side because you've stopped sinning. You're on God's good side because of what you believe about Jesus and what he's done for your life. The reason you even experience the goodness of God is because you believe what Christ has already done in your life. The reason you're on God's good side and you can come to his throne room at all is because of what Jesus has already done. We need to quit fighting the battle, that first step battle of dealing with our sin and move into a realm of being empowered of the Holy Spirit. Once we believe in the finished work of Jesus, we are free to live in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Once we believe, when we truly accept the finished work of Christ, now we're open. Now we're open to living in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now we're open to the Holy Spirit actually manifesting in our life. Now we're open to the presence of that Holy Spirit actually producing through us the supernatural. Now we're open to that space where we can cut loose and say, okay, God, you've got it all. People like that look crazy. You know why people like that look crazy to the world? because they stand in a place knowing that they are frail and broken human beings. They stand in a place knowing all their shortcomings. They stand in a place knowing they're not good enough, that they're not smart enough, they haven't, they haven't gotten it all together. They stand in that place and in spite of every one of those deficiencies, they say, God, I know you can use me. That looks crazy to the world. But that's why the Bible says that he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. That he takes the things that the world looks like as foolishness and says, I will totally make a mess of this world system with what I've got in my hands. And you are that person. You are what he has to affect the world around us. See, the central problem is that we have tied God's ability to our goodness we have tied God's ability to our goodness. We have decided that if God is going to be good, it's going to be because of something I've done. We have decided that if God is going to show up in our life to any degree, it's because of something that we've accomplished. We have decided that if God is going to perform the supernatural, it's only going to be because of what we've accomplished in our own strength, in our own power, in our own will, and nothing could be further from the truth. If I could do anything today, I'd like to release you from that thought, to cut that thought out of your life, that you can be those who experience the supernatural, and you can be those who, through the power of Christ, express the supernatural in your everyday life, if you'll just get out of your own way. Quit telling him why you're not worthy. Quit telling him why he can't use you. Quit telling him why you're not perfect enough for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Quit telling him why you're not enough for greatness to happen at your hands. Quit telling him all of your deficiencies. He's already seen them and he approved of you anyway. He's already seen them and he's chosen you anyway. He's already seen every failure that could ever, ever come across your life and he's already approved of you. We don't have to worry about it. <laughs> we don't have to worry about the fact that we're approved or that God loves us or cares for us or believes in us enough to allow his presence to reign and to rule in our lives. We have to cut loose to the extent that we just let it happen. 
The Bible says that I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. That Greek verb there for crucified with is sustasturo. Every time I do it, I trip over that word. Um, But if you break it down into its four parts, it literally means I have been crucified. This is a true statement by Christ or with Christ, by no power of my own, and that this was a once and for all action. So I have been crucified with Christ. It didn't happen through any effort of my own. It happened only because of his effort, and that it happened once and for all. It never needs to be repeated, and the life that I live is not my own, but I live this life in the power of him. See, we have to come to a place where we understand we quit fighting the cross. See, what we've done, and when we've heard this idea, I've been crucified with Christ, we've come to this this example, and we've thought, and we've heard sermons preached that we have to somehow nail ourselves on the cross. You couldn't do it anyway. The Greek verb there for crucified with is literally saying, you don't have the strength to nail yourself up there. You You wouldn't inflict that type of punishment. But Jesus, through his power and through his presence in our life, throws the old dead man on that cross and hangs it there with him. And it suffers and dies so that it can be resurrected to new life so that you can be like Christ and that we can move past our dead sin issues and move into the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. If you study church history, this was something they were passionate about. Getting past the place where we had to deal with sin over and over and over again, where we had to think about sin and somehow conquering sin, but getting to the place where we understood that our sin was dealt with at the cross, that we could mourn our sin and we could mourn our faults and our failures, but that we could leave it at the cross. And that once we walked away, we were empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. In fact, that's what modern day North America American church used to look like. It used to look like a place where we came and we on Sunday gave over through praise and through worship and through study of the word. We gave all of our sin cares to the cross. And then when we walked out the back door, we didn't carry the sin with us throughout the week. We walked out the back door empowered of the Holy Spirit. For those of you that are familiar with more of a traditional style and you're familiar with uh, um, uh, confession, in the Catholic Church or penance or other uh, processes like that. The whole idea was that you left your sin at the cross, that you left your sin with that priest in that box so that it never came out and affected your life anymore. And we have lost some of these traditions and in losing them, we are now trying to fix our sin issue daily, constantly over and over and over when we should be leaving it at the cross so that we can then be empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is the life that God's called us to, to deal with our sin once and for all at the cross, that you have been crucified with Christ, that you live, but not by any power of your own, that everything that happened at the cross was based on his power, that he did it once and for all. It never needs to be repeated so that you don't have to pay the same penalty for the sin over and over and over and over and over and over and over in your life, so that you can step into the supernatural as we chase down the presence and person of the Holy Spirit. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where life change really happens. This is where we connect with God on a totally different plane, and we say, Holy Spirit, come. 
take over my life. Come, Holy Spirit, and dwell in me so that I might be motivated to do what you've called me to do, to keep to your statutes, to keep to your principles, but then more than that, God, flow through me so that I, may, I might be able to affect lives around me. If we're to chase the presence of the Holy Spirit and to be people of power, to be people of supernatural power in a real everyday context, it can only happen as we give up trying to fix our sin and realize it was taken to the cross and then accept the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. He will inspire you on your job. Maybe there's a problem that you're facing you don't know how to fix. He can literally give you a word of wisdom to change it. He can give you supernatural knowledge to face issues that come to us. The Bible talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, that he can give you these gifts in operation in your everyday life to see real life change happen, not just for you, but for others around you. And we're gonna talk about the gifts and we're gonna talk about how this practically works out over the next couple of weeks. Over the next two weeks, we're gonna list out how the gifts in full operation in our life, what they should look like, because they're not confined to a stage, and they're not confined to church, and they're not confined to religious ceremony. They're really for everyday life, that we would walk around every day empowered of the Holy Spirit. And we wanna to get to that place, but I had to take three weeks to break down this idea so that we could swallow this pill, because it's a big idea. It's, it's sometimes a strong idea to say that the presence of the Holy Spirit is so strong and so real and so impactful that he can actually change my life right where I am, right here and right now. That he can empower me to such a degree that whatever I'm facing, I know that God has a way through. That I know he has something supernatural that's laid up for me. That we can be those who are empowered of the Holy Spirit to affect the lives around us in a supernatural way.